Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Well, what a night it was here in Maidan, and we are not in aeroplane mode, far from it. It is time to max up the signal because we've got some fantastic guests for you on a very special edition of Luck on Sunday. It's extremely hot here in Dubai. I'm going to endeavour not to melt, but I'm going to introduce you to some fantastic guests, one of whom we will see in a moment. And joining me to talk to our guest, Angus McNay, who was on the show all last night, your initial reaction on World Cup night 2019. It was an absolutely fabulous evening. The, the international raiders came, they conquered to a degree, and the local horses, well, they stood up for themselves as well. It was sensational. And no doubt about the story, and the story was that of Thunder Snow, who became the first horse in history to win two Dubai World Cups, nine for Saeed bin Sarur, another for Christoph Sumiyama, the man who has been preparing Thunder Snow, is the six times champion jockey, Kieran Fallon. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say preparing him, I'm just riding him, <laughs> which, um, which is, not, is not a hard job because he's an absolute boss. You know, you could make couldn't get on a nicer, easier horse to ride, you know. And uh, you're, you're putting down your own part in his, his preparation because both Christoph Sumion, straight after the race, in, in the middle of his euphoria, and Said bin Sarur, when he was being mobbed by about a thousand people in the paddock, you were the first name they mentioned. So that you've, you've obviously done something, right? I've been riding him, I've been riding him since he was a two-year-old. And um, every year out here, <clears throat> it's, an, it's a great place to work, you know, if you want to call it work. Mm. and he's the only horse I have to ride, really, so it's easy. <laughs> so what is it that you like about this horse so much? He's clearly a character, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, this horse, you nearly talk to you. You know, all you have to feed him is his apples and his carrots or sugar, and he's the best in the world. But without them, he can be a little bit grumpy, and he can be difficult in the box. But I, I love him to bits. Uh, you've obviously followed, like we have, his, his story around the world, from being a quite a good two-year-old, a little bit quirky at times, to that extraordinary performance, whatever you want to call it, in the Kentucky Derby when he just bucked for a furlong. Then coming to win the UAE Derby, two wins in the Dubai World Cup, third in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and just about everything else in between. Yeah, well, I would say he was quirky. He, he has his moments. Um, I was telling the boys earlier, little things like we've got quite a few butterflies around the track, and they annoy him, whereas if a bird flew out in front of him, it wouldn't be a bother on him, you know? But um, the Kentucky Derby, I think it was just to do with the, the puddles that were there, that, you know. And, um, but other than that, he, he has done nothing wrong, he, you know. He loves it here, he loves the dirt here, you know, which he, he shows his best. And um, he's, he's, got, he's got a great character and a great temperament. I, I love him to bits. Were you disappointed with him when he was beaten in his, his prep race, round three of the Maxine no. Challenge? No, no, no. Um, he had a little injury. He's only had to come back off an injury. 
and um, we took him here for a race course caliber was we really to have a look around if he had been if he had been fit super Saturday he wouldn't have won the World Cup you know we had to leave something to improve on and we did you know mm. Let's take a look at last night's big race, the Dubai World Cup of 2019. Second consecutive sex success uh, for Thunder Snow. And I mean, the striking point about this was he was much smarter away and out of the gate from a wide draw than he had been in his prep race, Kieran. When, when you saw Christoph riding him out of the gate and you saw him getting that position, did you immediately think, yes, away we go? We were happy. Um, initially, we weren't happy with the draw. Stuck on the outside isn't ideal. Obviously, you're, you're, you're at a disadvantage by a couple of lengths. But in, on, on the other side of the coin, if you're down the inside and you missed a kick, you're having to use up too much gas to get a position. He was able to get across nicely. You know, you couldn't have been happier with him here. And um, obviously, you know, Richard up on, on, on the lead, setting nice fractions, he was just able to follow. But when what you call him traveled up on the outside. Bronkowski. Bronkowski, yeah. yeah. You know, he, he, he traveled really strong to the race. I mean, he ran, he ran, he ran great in America. He obviously, you know, coming here, he had a, he had a great reputation. Chad Brown had him in America, and um, just slightly, he had, he, he our horse hit a flat spot just before we turned for home. And I kind of got a little bit worried then, but when he straightened up and he pulled him out and switched him onto his his right lead, he was always going to win. You look at the race here, you, you sort of think North America is going to be to retreat, but in yeah. first position at the moment is Gronkowski, in third position is Thunder Snow. At this point, Angus, watching them travel, do you want to be in one or three? Well, I would want to, I would have wanted to be North America, really, riding the rail, because I thought Richie Mullen just eased them up down the back yeah. a little bit and saved a, yeah. saved a bit, and I thought he'd kick again, but I think he's a horse who who packs it in when he's challenged and Gronkowski was up next to him for quite a long way down the back and I think North America cried enough fairly quickly but now when Sumion gets hold of Thunder Snow and he, as Kieran said he changes his legs you he always win, felt he it? was going to get yeah. there. He, he, he wants to win, he's as tough as nails when you get into, into a battle with him you're not going to beat him I know it's only a nose or a short head but that's all he has, he's, he's the same in his work when he gets by his lead horse he goes to sleep on the air. That might be one of the keys to him, isn't it, Kieran? In looks the, after himself, yeah. In that he's had, he's had a, he's danced a lot of dances. Yes. He's had a lot of yeah. hard races. He had and, indeed, yeah. But he takes them because he, he looks after himself yeah. at home. He always saves a bit. He's not one like you'd see Drankowski, how he travels too well. Yeah. You know, using up too much energy. Whereas our little fellow, he just saves, saves. Wants to get his head in front and he wants to keep it there. Mm. You used to quite enjoy riding horses like that, didn't you? Yeah. Just were. Time to sleep. Yeah. So they're not using any energy, you know. Whereas it's see. You know, Oshin there was full of running, you know, and that was a difference in the end. Now, the whip has been in the news constantly for about the last 18 months. I don't want to make this program about the whip again because, frankly, mm. everyone's getting a bit jaded with this subject. Yeah, yeah. But Christophe Soumillon's been given a 25,000 sterling dirhams, dirhams ban. Okay, so that's five, six thousand sterling. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that? Well, the, the, whip, the whip was changed and it's a cushioned whip. It doesn't hurt. And that's why it was changed. So it wouldn't hurt the horse. But they're still making an issue. I can't understand it. You know, and it's, it's supposed to be terrible in America. They're supposed to be in Santa Anita. We've taken the whip more or less off. The jockeys are not going to be able to use them. But, I mean, they don't hurt horses. I mean, I, I love horses to bits. And I wouldn't want them hurt. But these whips that we're using, they don't hurt them. 
to just keep the, just for the, keep them concentrating and, and it helps you if they're hanging, you know. But point about when you were when you were riding, particularly in the, the whips are different then. To yeah, hard, but but actually, but in you in the latter stages of your, well, I say the last stage of your career, in the I'm saying the heyday of your career, you weren't actually that big a whip jockey. You'd always say. I'll roll this, get this horse rolling, 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 yeah. rolling, whip's the last thing. Yeah, if you have to go for your whip two, three out, you're going to be in trouble anyway. There's no point. And you, and you, don't, do, you don't use the whip to hurt the horse, you use the whip to encourage the horse. To, to get it to achieve its maximum. Yeah. Mm. And get the momentum flying. Yeah. And it strikes me that a horse like Thunder Snow is a horse who really does respond, which is why Christoph's yeah. Quite happy to, to use it quite a bit because he knows his horse is coming and coming and coming for him. Yeah, and like I said, it doesn't hurt the horse. All it does is encourage him. These whips don't hurt. They don't know where the winning post is either. You've got to try and get the best out of them. They don't know where the line is. That's true. And you have to encourage them to keep going to yes. that point. As when they get tired, just like any, any athlete, when they get tired, they want to ease off. Yeah. yeah. Is he an idle horse? You've got the cheap, very, where's the cheap pieces, very, doesn't he? So he needs a fair bit of encouragement. Yeah, but it's like I said, it's like that at home. Yeah. You can push him around in the morning. You know, he just goes to sleep on the. And it's when he, but, but when he's working, he travels nicely, just this nicely. Quickens by his lead horse. Made a partnership actually. The one early in the carnival, his lead horse, which is a good lead horse. He quickens by him. He usually gets in his way. He quickens by him, and then as soon as he gets the length up on him, that's it. He's like, yeah, not done. Even before you get to the line with him. Mm. I love listening to you talking about riding the horses at home and always did when you were a jockey as well. A lot of jockeys, when they leave the weighing room, they're, they're just bereft, distraught, they don't know what to do with themselves. It strikes me that this is actually a pretty good substitute for you, that you get quite a lot of satisfaction just from the preparation and the training and the just being around them. Yeah, and I was more excited last night with this horse wedding than I would have been in any of my rides, whether it be an Ark or a Derby or Breeders' Cup. You know, I got more out of it because I'm with him every morning. I love the horse more than anything else, you know. And, you know, it's, it's just it's just thrilling, so it was. This is, you, this is you riding him out with the, the Godolphin string. Yeah. We have a great crack, so we do. Even Gary Hine and all the boys, you know, that I used to ride with before, are all there, Chris Cattler. Mm. Um, it's, it's fun, you know, it's not work, it's fun. You know, it, as I say, it's a great holiday. And does, does Saeed sort of leave you to your own devices on the horse a bit and just say, well, you crack on, you tell me how to train him, get on with it? it, it it's a routine. We told what to do every morning. We more or less know what we're doing anyway. But it, it's a 10 furlong gallop or a 6 or whatever. And the work is the same. He works once a week. We know what we're doing. It's simple, it's routine, and it works. And you've been to see him this morning and fed him? I had to see him. He has to get his, he has to get his apples every morning. So no matter what, you, sugar. You love sugar. You have to go in and give oh, yeah. these apples. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's quite a few. I mean, best solution, team talk. Um, men do. You I mean you, when you go into the yard in the morning, the first thing, you know, when I, when I come in, I'll have a little uh, little cup of sugar, and you all wait for you want in, spock in the door. And you, you were know, telling me earlier, you're telling me earlier on that even he's he's idle in his races, he's idle in his work, and he even he's even idle when he's eating because he just yeah. a little bite out of the yeah. apple. <laughs> And then you go back again in another little yeah. bite when he's finished chewing yeah. that one. It's amazing. He's like a little child, you know. <laughs> it's just a joy to be around. Well, it's lovely to hear you talk about him, and, and let's hope that he can, he can build through the season. What he, what he achieved yesterday, do you know what the sort of rough plan for him will be? He's in quarantine at the moment. He goes to America. They have something lined up for him in America. And I think um, the Breeders' Cup again mm. is a target. I don't know for sure, but I just, they're the rumours.
Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. And mm. of course, yeah. one man who's ridden more Breeders' Cup winners than anybody else, 26 of them, no less. Mike Smith will be joining us as our special guest later on this morning. Now, let's take a look at the other star performance from last night, and that was the victory of Armand Dye in the Dubai turf. We expected great things of her, and we got, for nine-tenths of the race at any at any rate, a pretty vivid exhibition of what is a pretty special talent, I think, Angus. I think she's a global superstar, Nick, and I don't think she was 100% uh, last night. I think they've got their eye on other big targets, notably the Prix de la de Triomphe, later in the year, and they had her spot on enough, well enough to win this, but I think she's a lot better than the bare result. I think there's loads more to come from her. Um, she's won her last seven, only beaten once, of course, when on her first start in a maiden, she's unbeaten since then. Course record in the, the Japan Cup, triple crown in, in Japan. She can do no more than she's done so far. And, and I think Le Maire looked after her there, to oh, yeah. be honest. I think she reminds me a lot of a Ouija board, you know, okay. a really top-class filly, and she can beat the Colts. But unlike Ouija board, sometimes who would be, you'd be just keeping her off the bridle almost, and yeah. squeezing her along. This filly absolutely tanked her way through the race. The way she passed those horses Good on the outside, she had the race one, and then... Yeah. I want to ask you a question about the hood. She wore a hood last night. Yeah, she did, yeah. And when she hit the front, she didn't seem to do much. Do you think she'd benefit from having the hood taken off? For sure. I mean, there's, I, I think there's too many, it's not me the same, too many trainers using the hood when, when it can be taken off. Inside, you know, I've, I've ridden the horses that would have been wearing the hoods and I forgot to put them on or whatever, and they're even better without it. Yeah. But I think just when they have them on, it's kind of like a habit and they leave it on. I mean, they have to be uncomfortable because they're kind of made of plastic, and especially in weather like this at home. You know, Willie Mullins uses them a lot, and that's probably where they got it from. Everyone starts to pick up on, on his success with them. And um, as you said, I think they'd be better, you know. They're really there for to relax them, especially like quirky fillies mm. in particular, and it relaxes them. But obviously, then when they get older, then I can't see why they shouldn't take do, them off. Do they actually work? They do work, yeah, for yeah. quirky fillies. Yeah, for quirky fillies in particular. Yeah. So they work to settle them down, but then once you've established a racing pattern, I take them off. Time to kick, time yeah. to get for it sure. off and kick off. Yeah. But it's like everything else. Why, why, um, why fix it if it's not broke? You know. Well, we can take a look back at some of the other races from, from last night. Uh, we'll have a look at the Shima Classic, which was won by Old Persian. It was an extraordinary night for Godolphin, and particularly for Charlie Appleby, with his three successes on the turf, exciting sprint of Lou Point, cross-counter the stayer, and Old Persian, who could yet be his best middle-distance prospect for 2019. Do you think he will be his best middle-distance prospect for 2019? Massar coming back or no Massar coming back? An embarrassment of riches Charlie Appleby's got, hasn't he? Uh, I thought Will Buick did a good job here because this was a steadily run race, Kieran. At the top of the stretch, he was in a bit of a pocket, yeah. and he decided not to just sit and sit and wait. Yeah. He thought, he's going to do something decisive. He angled out, he nudged hunting, hunting Horn, yeah. and he made, a, he made a move, a positive move, and then the horse came back on the bridle for him. Yeah, very, very, very good night for, for William, riding at the top of his game. Mm. They didn't really fancy this horse when he ran a couple of weeks ago. They thought he'd neither run, yeah. and he won. So he was always going to improve, and he was spot on on the night. Yeah. I think Charlie Appleby really enjoyed that. His body language when he was watching that race, he, he actually allowed himself a little, a little cheer. He was completely inscrutable for the rest of the night, particularly when cross-counter Anis Bellini locked horns at the furlong pole of the Dubai Gold Cup because he couldn't really be seen to be cheering <laughs> for one or the other. But you know full well that he 
wanted cross counter to win because this was the Melbourne Cup horse and this is their big stayer for the season. Victory yesterday also was the first leg in the Million Pound Stayers series because that's added to that series now. There was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake and he, and he is a good, a good horse, obviously a Melbourne Cup winner. Very hard to do, especially for, for the Europeans. And um, he, he was impressive. You know, they went right away from the third. I was very impressed. Yeah, and I, I know you were saying last night on the, on the broadcast that he's a horse who could cut back in trip and yeah. do things over a mile and a half. I'm sure he could. But I, I think given what Stradivarius did last year and given they've got old Persian and Massar, mm. they've surely got to be thinking that the Weatherby's Hamilton Stayers series, for all they don't need a million quid, <laughs> it, it just neatly maps out a pattern for them. I think it gives, gives them a way to go with him. Uh, he, he definitely stays two miles. They're talking about the Ascot Gold Cup, two and a half. I wouldn't be so sure about that. He, he travels very strongly through his races and he, you know, he showed quite a good turn of foot there. He was pretty quick down the middle of the track in the Melbourne Cup and he quickened up from the back. So I'm not sure he's an out and out stayer. He's a horse that travels well and can pick up. Two miles is fine for him though. But all good horses have a bit of speed as well, you know, and he is a proper horse. Yeah, if you think of Order of St George, for example, yeah. a horse with tons of speed, can get placed in an arc, yeah. can win a two and a half mile exactly, yeah. staying race. Class. Who'd have been the best stayer you rode, the best extreme stayer you rode? It. And what were his credentials he the, he, relative he, he to... He won, the, he won the coronation, it was over a mile and a half. Mm. You know, he won a coronation, he won, he won, he won four gold cups. Another horse, I said, just pure class. I think he won the ledger, the Irish ledger as well. Yeah. Do you think we overplay the, the concept of stamina? Do you think we talk about it too much? I wouldn't say that, you know, but it's like I thought years ago when I was with Jimmy Fitzgerald, when you'd forgive and forget, yeah. he could work up with his sprinters. Unbelievable. You, you couldn't believe it unless you've seen it. And he always said to me, all good horses have speed. Did you ride forgive and forget? I rode work you... with him. Did I, you? I rode work with him. I rode a horse, uh, a big star, won the Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And we had another sprinter that won the, won the dash. At, um, Willie Carson won the dash for us. You know, he had a lightweight. And before he won the Gold Cup, went up between the two of us, marked the wire riding him, which obviously would be two stone heavier. He went between us, lie down, walked right away. Mm. You couldn't believe it unless you'd seen it. When you were riding, somebody told, a trainer told me that um, he gets horses, and if they can do 12 second furlongs, they have to do two 12-second furlongs consecutively. Yeah. If they can do that, you've got a race yeah. horse, then you work out the trip. But they've got to have that basic speed, first of all. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. speed figures is always going to tell you what trip a horse needs. Jack Armstrong taught me that years ago. Yeah. Um, can we talk about a fast horse, a very fast yeah. horse? This one's not going to get the Gold Cup trip at Ascot, that's for sure. Blue Point. Yeah. Uh, this horse can shift. <laughs> We've always known he could shift, and he looked explosive over five furlongs at Royal Ascot last year in the King's Stand Stakes. And the real question last night, Angus, was, could he stretch that speed, not just in an ordinary race against inferiors, but in a better race at Group 1 level? Can he stretch that out to six? He's, he's becoming a man, this horse, now, isn't he? Yeah, he's improved, I think, from last year, Nick. He's a, he's a world-class turf sprinter now. I think he's slightly better at five. Remember, this is a quick track, and he was really impressive when he won over five here at the Carnival, but this was... This was a very good performance, winning in a fast time. And I thought William Buick here was very good because he just wanted to hang on to him, sit. And he didn't ask him to go too soon. He just waited, 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 and then went. Yeah, well, William, William has lovely hands. You don't see a horse that's really running keen with him, and you know, he can switch yeah. them off beautifully. That's the key to him, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I think Charlie's done a great job with his horse. You know, when you brought him here uh, early on in the carnival, he, he, he looked big. You know, you didn't thought he needed the run. Probably did, but he was able to get him here in his, in his third start and to win like that against the best in the world.
great training performance, I think, mm. even though we know he's a good horse. Yeah. And that wasn't the only sprint on the card. We saw XY Jets' glorious redemption in the, in the Dubai Golden Shaheen. Just to remind you, this is the horse that had finished second by a neck in 2016. He'd gone down by a nose in 2018, 2019, blitzed from the stalls, and thank you very much. If you had an interest in this horse, either emotional or financial, yesterday, there weren't too many moments of doubt, were there? No, I was never worried, Nick. <laughs> I thought Craig Evans' call was really good. Uh, Craig, the race course commented here. I think he said, um, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. And that's what XY Jet's done, and he's come back. And, of course, Roy H was a non-runner, so he made his task a little bit easier. But he always looked like he was going to win. He's sharp from the gates, Kieran. He's got to the front on the dirt, and then away he goes. Typical American style, you know, that's what they're, they're bred to do, and that's how they're trained as well. To, fast fractions early and, and, and keep them going. Mm. And MSL Jaramillo taking victory on XY Jet and it was a, a great win for Rockingham Ranch. You've had this extraordinary run of success. Stormy Liberal ran another fine race yesterday. Roy H. I asked Brian Trump whether he was lucky or brilliant and said a bit of both maybe but some clutch of horses isn't it? Yeah and a frustrating night for Peter Miller because he had second and third in the, in the turf sprint and then Grey Magician was also second for him as well. So a really frustrating night for him, but he's a tremendous trainer on the west coast of the map. Big things were expected from Muntazar in the uh, Godolphin Mile. He didn't deliver at all. He, uh, as you would say, Angus, bounced to the moon. And we can take a look at the closing stages of this race now. This was the first success in the, uh, in the Godolphin Mile for the United States of America, or a horse trained in the United States of America since 2008. Mm. And it was a first success on World Cup night for Todd Fletcher and significantly a first success for Jose Ortiz and the first of two winners for him. What do you make of Jose Ortiz as a rider? Brilliant. Kieran? You know, they're, they're based around New York, um, him and his brother. Yeah. And um, two great riders and two, two very nice young fellas, you know. They've got, um, they've got a great career ahead of them. You know, but they take it all over America, but in particular around New York is where they're based. Yeah. He's got a clock in his head, hasn't he? He has a clock and his brother. Yeah. Well, Irad. Yeah. Yeah. And it, seem, it, it seems to me that you and your sort of senior former weighing room colleagues have quite a lot of respect for them. You go around the world, people say, sort of recognise how good they are. Yeah, and from a young age, you know, they're the only two that, you know, more or less control racing around that area. Mm. But wherever the big races are, they go and they fly in and out and get the job done. And there have been significant challenges for North American racing in the last two or three months, and huge debate about the future of it. But it was a good night for the Americans last night, because bar Godolphin, they cleaned up the dirt races. Yeah, three wins on the dirt mm. uh, for them. Yeah, they, they bring their horses here, they're very sharp and they're ready to go. And they've always had a good record here, particularly in the sprints, because those, those horses are schooled out of the gates all of the time, aren't they? Yeah. And they're just ready to jump, yeah. bounce and go. And that's the way they work them. Yeah. Just pick up on a point that you made earlier on about coming to World Cup night, horses have to be, you have to have them fresh. They have to be ready to give their best on World Cup night. Horse like Muntazar, who disappointed there, he ran his big race, Super didn't Saturday, he? Yeah. Super Saturday, yeah. Super when he broke the he, track record, and he, I think he surprised his trainer, to yeah. be fair. But if you, he, he left the Godolphin yeah. mile out there, I, didn't I he? I think so, yeah. He, he couldn't improve on that success. He couldn't improve, and if you don't improve, there's only one way to go, yeah. which he did. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome back, you're watching Luck on Sunday special from Maidan in the wake of the Dubai World Cup night 2019. Kieran Fallon remains alongside me and he's joined by a very good old friend of his, Brendan Walsh, who was successful last night with Pluska Parfait in the UAE uh, Derby, Irish-born but based in the US. Brendan, great to see you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me on. 
and that must have been a pretty special moment yesterday. You were getting notably emotional after it. Yeah, no, it was. It was. It was fantastic. Um, you know, that's the that's the stuff people you dream about. You know, so I, it's like pinching myself. I woke up this morning. I was wondering if it actually did happen, but it seems like it did. So it's it's fantastic. It's a great thrill. And we can take the closing stages again here. This is a, a daring gap, but it was a, a path well trodden, wasn't it? Yeah, Jose gave the horse a great ride. Um, you know, he he just he but you know he came back to me after and he said he he answered every call. He said everywhere I wanted him to be, he he was very obliging to do it, and and the horse just ran a super race. You know, he's willing. He seems to stay very well. Yeah, starts to get you pretty excited, doesn't it? Haven't even thought about it yet. Oh come <laughs> on! <laughs> no, it is it is exciting. I mean, but I, I just the whole thing. It's just happened so quick. It's hard to get my head around it. But I'm sure in the next few days we'll uh, we'll start to think ahead. You know. So. Every trainer, yeah, who has any horse of any ability in the United States of America, genuinely only thinks about one thing, don't uh, they? Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's it's huge over there. You know, it's to even. Just to have a runner, um, let alone be it a, a horse that would be quite live, is um, it, it is something else, you know. So um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll get our head around it. We'll look forward to it. And yeah, I mean, the horse he looks like he he stays. He'll he'll run all day, and you know he's 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 a tough horse, which you need to be in the Derby as well. Um, you know, you need you need to, to, to run into a lot of kickback and a lot of traffic and you know, and he seems like he's got all that, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll look forward to it and we'll see what happens. Well, you might figure out some of your dangers later on because Mike Smith will be our special guest uh, a bit later on in the programme. I'm sure he's got a few up his sleeve to, to ride in this year's race, but it'll be great to have him there. It'll be great to have you there. Tell me how you two know each other and where you go back to. Well, of course, you know, since I was a since I was younger, you know, you, I, I've always watched Kieran down through the years, and he came over to us a few, a few years ago, and um, and rode in Kentucky, and and uh, I'd I'd met Kieran on and off uh, here and in, in the states and and back home and everything, but um, yeah, he came over and, and rode for a while, uh, about three years ago, I guess. Yeah. And um, right. I yeah, been retired by then, but yeah. <laughs> I should have rode him a, a greatest stakes winner in Indiana Grands, but yeah, trouble in running. Flew home, finished second, should have won. Yeah, disappointing, but <laughs> another hard luck story. No, indeed. So here you are now, Irishman training in in America. Do you do you reflect on your career so far and and think that? that is the only place you could have had the success that you've had? You know, Nick, it would have been very hard for me to, um, to have gotten an opportunity like I've gotten in the States, in Europe. It's very hard for somebody young to, to start up, as it is anywhere. I'm not saying that, that America is, is easy, but <clears throat> it is, as it's always been called, a land of opportunity. And, and, you know, we started with a small number of horses and you know, just through having a great team and, and hard work, we've grown and grown. And you know, last night was the was the pinnacle of it so far. So um, you know, it, it really has gone well. I mean, I have to pinch myself. I've been very lucky, but uh, you know, like I said, I have a great team of people around me, and um, and you know, you need that and, and and a little luck and running as well. And um, you know, we're this is where we are right now. I don't know how many trainers you rode for in your career, and I would imagine you lost count long ago, but. How quickly can you identify when a youngish trainer 
knows what they're doing as a jockey. Well, when he starts with a small team of ordinary horses and then ends up winning a big race in Dubai, that's when you know you've arrived. <laughs> yeah, I you get know, that. It's hard work, but you do. You can start off with, with ordinary horses, you know, and get them to the, to the top. You know, that's a sure indication. And in terms of when you would, you would walk into the paddock and get instructions off a train, perhaps somebody you'd never met before, what would you like to hear or not like to hear? If you were riding in a fairly inauspicious race at a, at a minor venue and you were riding said horse... Well, I'd always look up the form of the horse, see, or have a chat with other jockeys I would have rode it to see the habits or whatever. And then the trainers, most good trainers don't usually tie you down or give you very many instructions. They'll tell you a little bit of history with the horse I want to think, and I think then they employed you as your job to know what to do. You know, as like I said, the good trainers don't tie you down. And I guess in America that's even more to, to that extreme, isn't it? Because the jockeys and trainers don't have the same sort of relationship that they do in Europe. It's a bit more of a transaction, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of the time it is, Nick. But you know, I've I've got you know two or three guys that I use a lot. You know, so you do, you do tend to build up a relationship with them and. And you know, they, they, you know, most of the good riders, they're, you know, they're just like, you know, we'll say John Velasquez rode for me last night in Florida. You know, before the race, I sent him a text. You know, just basically no instructions. You know, it's not my position to tell John Velasquez what to do. You know, you you'll give them a little instruction, like Kieran says, you'll tell them something they need to know about the horse or whatever, and after that, you just leave them, leave it to them. You know, because. You know, they're, 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 that's their job, and, and they know a lot better than me. And I, I've ridden horses myself, and, and I know what, uh, you know, they, they just know what to do. The good ones just know what to do. And, and Jose Ortiz is right on the top of his game. Absolutely. And thinks his way through a race. Yeah, no, same with Jose last night. You know, we just said, you know, we'll, we'll just let the horse break, let him find his feet and I said after that it's up to you and you know he, he gave the horse a fantastic ride. You might struggle to get him for the derby I fancy. I might but you know <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it I'm sure there's plenty of other uh, there's plenty of other uh, good riders that'll be looking for derby mounts so I'm sure we'll if we can't get Jose we'll we'll find somebody else that's pretty good. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well, the mercury's rising here at Maidan, about 33 degrees, but very pleasant in the morning sunshine. Great to have you back with us and delighted to welcome my next guests as well. They are the enduring father-daughter partnership that have taken the racing and bloodstock world by storm. Not on one continent, but on two, because not only did they breed the Triple Crown winner, 13th Triple Crown winner Justify, whose rider Mike Smith will be hearing from later in the programme, they also owned and bred the Royal Ascot winner without parole. Quite an extraordinary triumph for what is still a relatively small and developed breeding operation. They are, of course, John Dee and Tanya Gunter. John, Tanya, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And warm enough for you both? Pretty warm, pretty hot here. <laughs> We're sweating. We didn't know we would be in the hot seat, literally. Well, we've been wanting to get you in the hot seat on this program for a while because it has been an amazing year. And I can't help noticing, Tanya, that you are emblazoned in the Team British Racing <laughs> polo shirt, even though you're based in the United States and London sometimes, admittedly, and are from Canada. So why, why the, the Anglophile? 
Well, my mom was born in England, so there's that. And the horse is trained, was bred and trained in England. So we're big supporters of the program there. We like training in Newmarket and running at Ascot is like a dream come true. So, <laughs> so that's why. And John, you said after Without Parole won the uh, St. James's Palace Stakes last year that it yeah. almost gave you a bigger thrill to <laughs> score at Ascot than it did to breed a Triple Crown winner, which is amazing. Yeah, it, it really did. I mean, um, Royal Ascot, I've been coming coming to Royal Ascot for at least 20 years and to actually have a first time starter at Royal Ascot in the St. James Palisade just to have him in the race was was so exciting for me and then topping it all off winning as well I mean it was something I've always dreamt about for, for years and uh, it, <clears throat> it was so emotional and so unbelievable it, it meant a lot. It meant more to me than winning the triple, breeding the triple crown winner. <laughs> you had to bring that up again. We get a lot of flack for that in the U.S. When you say stuff like that. <laughs> do you really? Because do, do people not sort of warm to the idea that you've done something pioneering? You've taken your breeding operation abroad. You could bring the two countries closer together, and that's what we're all striving for. Well, I think um, the Triple Crown is the holy grail of, a, of racing in America, and so no one could quite believe it that you could feel more strongly about winning the St. James Palace after breeding the Triple Crown winner. But we, we bred and own without parole, and it's such a special thing to, to be both breeder and owner, I suppose. And I, I look at them both as great uh, achievements that were unbelievable and I'm s still sinking in. It probably will be for years to come. So I try not to say one over the other. <laughs> and there must be something, John, special. I know you don't always agree on everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, get <laughs> I'll, I'll get a lecture later on. Yeah. <laughs> but it must, Thanks, be, it must be a very special shared experience that you can build this little empire together. Well, yeah, the ahead. nice thing is when you fight with family, you hopefully make up afterwards and <laughs> you're not afraid to say what you think to each other. So hopefully we get a better result from sparring with each other. <laughs> so who brings what to the party? Tanya, Tanya's the brains for sure. <laughs> He's saying that to be politically correct, <laughs> no, I, I mean, think. She plans all the meetings. Uh, she works 24-7. She basically manages the operation in Kentucky and uh, looks after the, the mares and foals and, uh, over here uh, in England and she travels to Ireland, England and France. So, I mean, she is working basically 24-7. And with myself, it's more of a gut instinct situation. You know, I sort of shoot from the hip. And Tanya gives me some scenarios together and... Um, I try to rein them in occasionally, but it's not easy. <laughs> you know? so. But sometimes that gut instinct has yielded quite rich dividends, hasn't it? hundred percent. I'm kind of a more analytical person, I suppose, and I've tried to learn from my dad to retain that little bit of gut instinct as well, because if you can combine gut instinct and analytics, hopefully you can achieve big things, you know. But the gut instinct is years and years of experience is what it is, really. It's not just shooting from the hip. It's all those years, and maybe you can't put it into words, but gut instinct is extremely important, and my dad has very good gut instinct. Although I shouldn't be saying that because his ego might get bigger, but anyway. <laughs> you give him such a hard time. I do. I do. I'm i got to keep it I'm, honest. I'm here to be your friend, John. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, now I'm on outnumber. That's why I'm in the middle. <laughs> Where was the Gunter seed sown, as far as horse racing was concerned? 
Well, um, where did it all start? Yeah, did it start before you? Did it start with your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents? Or no, were, you the, were no. you the guy that started it all up? I'm the guy that started it all quite by accident, really. <laughs> um, I was going out with this particular lady, and she wanted a show jumper. And then I had to go up to the Yukon, and it was very cold up there, so uh, I phoned her and says, would you marry me? <laughs> so, but we still had this show jumper, right? So we sent it over to a friend's farm, and he looked up the show jumper and found out it was a thoroughbred. So he asked if it would be okay to breed her to his stallion. So as a result, I get a foal, I raise it, run it at the track, it wins four or five times, and then I was hooked. <laughs> and everything went downhill after that. So it's not well, just... Well, not exactly, but... <laughs> it's the, it's with my mom, but... <laughs> oh, Take her out to the Yukon, you know. You know, I've got more than I bargained for this morning, didn't I? <laughs> she should have known. It was a hint. My <laughs> <laughs> oh, word. So it wasn't just racing that you got plunged into, sort of ankles, ankles last, if you like, head right. first. You, um, you got plunged straight into thoroughbred breeding, which of course has had its wonderful rewards now, but can bring any amount of frustration and heartache along the way. Were there moments where you thought, oh, for God's sake, I just need to do something else? Uh, there, there's been many moments, you know. You, um, the one thing I have learnt, though, you gotta, when times are good, you got to really enjoy them because there's always, there's always a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. And... Uh, Every year, there's Every something year, there's that something tests you. happens, and uh, but you know what? The way I look at it, it all balances out over a period of time if you're willing to stick with it. You know. But you know, when we when we got on the plane, it was a day after having to understand that a foal, our most important foal of the year, had died in the clinic. We were not able to save it, and then we had three foals, four foals since we've arrived here one mare colic, one full colic, they're both fine now, you know, and uh, it's, it's rough, rough and tumble, you know, so <laughs> it was so nice to come here and see without parole and have that to, to look forward to, you know, when you're dealing with all of that stuff. It's, it's heartbreaking time, yeah. at times, but the, the, the horses like without parole kind of pull you through because you have that, that thing to look forward to. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Charlie, as you said time and time again, uh, Massar gave you in, in the Investec Derby the greatest moment of your career so far. But I think when he suffered his setback, plenty thought, great to have seen him. He will obviously go down that, become a stallion and, and that will be that. Fantastic that he, he is kept in training, he has been kept in training. And when are we likely to see him back? Well, hopefully, like I say, he's been here for the winter. He came out in January, um, and and this is, you know, the, the, the fantastic and great position I'm in. You know, working for Godolphin, but more importantly, you know, it's Hannah Sheikh Mohammed being involved in, in with these horses and the decisions that you know he he wanted him to see him in training as a four-year-old, and and that's why, as I said, we made the decision last year with that um, injury was to stop him and, and forget. 2018 instead of trying to come back in in the autumn and, and perhaps push him too soon uh, with that injury and, and, and we may may never have seen him again um, whereas this you know given he's been given all the time in the world um, he's training stepping up week on week 
you know, um, you know we, we're, we're at a stage where we're going to you know, we're cantering away next week, um, and uh, and the nice thing about it is, like I say, he's, he, he looks great. He's doing everything we're asking of him, and we're aiming towards Ascot. Um, and you know, it's an aim, and, and, and you know, as we know, with these animals and, and, and unfortunately the setbacks we have with them, um, it's never going to be simple saying, "Well, this is where we're going to we're going to go to Ascot and we're going to go from here to A, B, and C." Um, it's a, a, a day by day and a week by week scenario. But at the minute, we're delighted with where he is, and and. Um, I say he's doing everything we were asking him um, at this present time. How bad was that initial initial injury? Well, it was enough to take us out for the season. <laughs> at the end of the day, we've got to remember the, the calibre of horse we're dealing with. So you know, we, we've got to look at it. Sit, we, we all have to sit back and just review what was best, firstly for the horse, and did we have a realistic chance of him coming back from that injury? The answer is yes. So, um, uh, like I say, he's, he's pleasing us in everything he's doing, and and. It's going to be a very exciting horse when we get him back on the track. And sure. I suppose until you get him back on that track, you, you, or can you ever quite know whether you, you have the Derby winner, the, 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 the horse capable of that sort of performance that won a Derby, or would you, go into a, would you only go into another campaign with the confidence you did? Yeah, but, I mean, if he's not showing us the right signs when we're getting up to a stage of where we're you know, really starting to press a few buttons, then you know, if he's not showing us the signs that we feel where he was, well, the decisions would be, you know, made on, on what, you know, what we have to do um, going forward. Um, but uh, what we're seeing at the moment, he looks great and, and we can't be any happier with where we are. And would it be, I, I suppose, a horse of his profile, we as racing fans are going to think previous season's Derby winner didn't get a chance to run in an arc, for example. Wouldn't that be a lovely place to finish up? I mean, that, is that at the forefront of your mind, all being well this season? Or would there be other things on his agenda? I said the arc is, is, is yes, it's it's very much there, and and, and that's the race that we we again we're hoping to work back from um, in pencil, as they say. Um, so um, it's a race we wanted to get, you know, after the derby. Yeah, of course, we were getting, you know, had these great plans of finishing up in an arc, and that didn't materialise. So yeah, hopefully this year that's that's going to be one of our that's going to be our target, to be honest with you. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Well, my next guest this week is simply a titan of the sport in the United States of America and indeed in global racing. With 26 winners, he's the most successful Breeders' Cup jockey of all time. He has landed each and every Triple Crown race at least once, and indeed he became the 13th jockey to ride a Triple Crown winner last year when Justify took all three legs. In addition to that, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2003 and has been in it for 16 years, whereupon his reputation has grown and grown. He's more selective with his rides these days, which has earned him the uh, sobriquet Big Money Mike. He is, of course, the one and only Mike Smith. Mike, good morning. Nick, how are you? I'm extremely well. Thank you for joining us uh, on the show. Unusually for you, no big payday last night, which we, we're not accustomed to seeing. But have you enjoyed your stay in Dubai? I've certainly enjoyed it. I always love coming here. Uh, yeah, just kind of lost for words for, for uh, Seeking the Soul's performance last night. Uh, thought I'd put him up in a good spot, you know, going into the far turn with, with a chance to, to keep running. You know, he's been a bit unlucky in his last few Group 1s. So I wanted to get him a clear trip, and I got him out there, and, and uh, 
maybe he's just better covered up and in trouble, you know, because uh, he just didn't fire like I, I thought he would, you know. So a, a big disappointment for him. But would you be confident that he's the sort of horse that can go back to the States and sort of re-establish that profile and be one of the best middle distance horses in, in the U.S. this year? I would certainly think so, Nick, with some time. He probably needs a little bit of time. You know, he ran awful hard in, in, the, in the Pegasus, you know, leading up to this race. You know, he was a really good second, again, with a bit of trouble. So maybe it was a, a bit harder than what, what, what you'd have thought, you know. And his first time also going 10 furlongs, you know, going a mile and a quarter, which he's never done before. You know, as a handicapper, that would probably be something that you would, you would gamble on because he's never done it before. But I certainly thought he was capable of it, but uh, that could be part of it as well. We'll just have to wait, wait and see, you know. Uh, what about you? For you, these, these trips and, and, and taking in some of the, the world's biggest races, to what extent does that still drive you on? Well, there's just nothing li like it. There's nothing like getting the opportunity to ride in a World Cup, uh, a Kentucky Derby, a Breeders' Cup. Uh, and those are, those are feelings you can only get unless you're involved. And that's what keeps you coming back, and that's what keeps you trying. People keep saying, you know, uh, what else do you have left to prove? I, there's nothing. I, I want to just do it over again. That's how good it feels, you know, that's how good it feels to be a part of it. So it's just, you know, getting those opportunities. And, and at my age, you know, I'm still being blessed with, with, those, with those chances and those opportunities. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. It sounds very similar to the man who was on this sofa three weeks ago on this same show. Frankie Dettori was saying much the same <laughs> thing. I, I don't want to rub it in. I think you might have a year or two on him as well, don't you? Probably do. Uh, I, I, I'm, actually, I'm pretty sure that I do. Uh, you know, the good thing that, that I, if I ever did anything right, Nick, at an early age was, was take, it, take up physical fitness. You know, I started in my early 20s working out uh, anywhere from five to six days a week, and I've literally been at it ever since. And now in my later years, it's really paying off. I mean, I, I can go in the gym with any 20-year-old jock right now, and if I can't beat him, I can certainly keep up, you know, so as long as I can stay healthy, I can keep doing it. I bet that gives you a bit of a kick as well when the young, <laughs> when does, the young bug riders are, ups are upsides you on the treadmill it, and you're leaving them standing. It does feel good. It does feel good. It does seem to me that when I've been into to jockey's rooms in, in the U.S. and come down to interview you or one of the top riders, you are, you are maintaining your fitness all the time in the inside the jockey's room and it's not something in, in Europe I see a lot of it does seem as though you guys place a, an increased emphasis on it you know uh, again at an early age I picked it up I think I got a lot of it from watching the great Lafitte Pinkai I don't know if you ever got a chance to mm. see him he's, he's 72 years old right now and if he took his shirt off you'd be in awe I mean he's just an incredible uh, athlete and I just kind of admired him and took after him and it, it like again it's really paid off and I think you know younger riders have seen that they take care of themselves a whole lot better. You know, they stay in really good shape. And they've come to realize, you know, that it's a very dangerous sport and, and you're going to get hurt at some point in some time. So if you're in really good shape before that happens, there's a good chance that you'll make it back a whole lot quicker as well. Well, if this had been a couple of years ago, we'd have been sitting here, we'd have been getting wet, but you'd have also had a broader grin on your face because you'd have been reflecting on one of the, I think, one of the, the great performances of the modern era when Arrogate run down Gunrunner in the, in the Dubai World Cup. How do you think, how do you think Arrogate should be remembered? Where, where is he in your pantheon of greats? You know, I, honestly, to be honest with you, Nick, coming over here on the flight over, I got to really watch that race over and over again. And for the first time, I really realized how special he really was because I think at the time we expected it. And then after getting, getting away so bad, it was more of a relief that I pulled it off than, than, than a celebration. I was just like, oh, 
I'm so we came all this way, and, and he was one to nine, and, and, and to get left at the gate and to still be able to pull it off, like I said, it was more of a relief. But to come back and watch what he actually did, and to see who he beat in the race, you know, Gunrunner went on to just crush the rest of the you know United States after that. Uh, it's just incredible. I mean, he'll go down as all out at a mile and a quarter with not a straw in their path. He'd probably be the fastest horse that I've ever ridden. And you've ridden some exceptional I've horses. I've been very blessed. Triple crown winner. He's, he, was, he was special. He was, he was just different. When he won the Travers, I think that was when the world woke up to Arrogate. Uh, it was a remarkable performance. He ran the fastest mile and a quarter for a three-year-old in uh, the state history. of New York in history. In history. Uh, that was just the beginning. You know, then he came back after that and he wins the, the Breeders' Cup Classic, wins the Pegasus, and then came here and did what he did in, in the World Cup. Uh, the, the only, you know, downside of the whole thing was going back to, to Del Mar, which probably was his least favorite racetrack of all times. Even before he won the Travers, he won a three-horse race there, just did, and just never cared for that racetrack whatsoever. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, did Dubai take too much out of him? And I don't necessarily think that Dubai took so much out of him. I just think that he went back to a track that he just wasn't very fond of. It was just too deep for him, you know. And I, I remember talking to you a lot and interviewing you a lot during the, those times, and the disappointments were difficult to take, but you had to take them with stoicism, but you'd become used by that point in your career to being so involved with great racehorses that there's a certain responsibility that goes with it, none more so than when, with Zenyatta, of course. Lure years before that, then uh, Justify last year. Is it, a, is it a difficult responsibility to bear that when you, you're essentially in charge of a public horse? You know, it's, it's an honourable responsibility. It's, it's a great honour to be, to get, even to get those opportunities to be around these great horses. And, and yes, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, you know, from, from this day forward, I'll always go down as, as a pilot era on, on Zenyatta losing her, her last race. I, I would never in my wildest dreams blame her. She never did nothing wrong. You know, she never did. And we got a bit too far back, a bit unlucky in the turn. With, with just a better, a, a better trip, I, I think I, I could have I made up the difference. Again, I'd love to have that opportunity again. People say, would you change anything? I said, of course I would. I, I'd finish second if I didn't. You know, so I'd definitely change something. But I could never blame her. I mean, for her to do what she did in defeat probably showed how great she really was uh, compared to all the ones that she won, to be honest with you. For her to make up that kind of ground was just incredible. I didn't mention Senyata's defeat in the Breeders' Cup Classic. The fact that it was what you immediately picked up yeah, I always tell, tells me that tells me that it, it's the it is the one that is just never going to leave you, isn't it? it it'll never leave me. It's it's come easier to handle. I mean, there was a time that if I if you brought it up, I, I might just get up and walk off. <laughs> to be honest with you, because I had to, and not because I was angry or anything else. I just couldn't take the, you know, just the, the the pain of it. To be honest with you, but you know now you learn how to handle it and you handle it a whole lot better. But you know, there's a thousand different things I wish I could have done different that night. You know. Uh, just because I know it would it would have affected the outcome. If I if I go back and say, well, I wouldn't have changed anything, then I finished second again, and I know I know she was better than that. I, I saw something that night I I haven't seen since, and Bob Baffert had a, I think the second favorite in the race, second or third choice. I think finished yeah. fourth, and he was cheering his horse to the two pole, and his horse just looked as though he might have had enough or done enough, uh -huh. and we, it, it's a split second. He starts <laughs> roaring for you. 
everybody really cheered for her. I, I, Bob talks about the time that, that uh, when she, she beat the boys in the Classic, he said he cried. For him to cry over someone else's horse, it's just it's, it's remarkable how special she was. Uh, you know, and the day that she did that, it was a day that the ground shook in California and there wasn't an earthquake. It was just everyone going, you know, everyone was so excited about, about her. And to this day, I still can't go somewhere without signing it. I think I signed several Zenyatta stuff last night here, and people still still love her and still talk about her. I, I just hope that one day one of her, one of her offspring jumps up and, and, and does a lot of good because she deserves a good one. She really does. And you evoking those memories of 2008 when she won the Breeders' Cup this stuff, and 2009 when she beat the boys in the, in the Breeders' Cup Classic and 10, she, she suffered that defeat. It, it made me quite nostalgic for, for California a decade or so ago and, and the great times we were enjoying and, and, and the state was, was enjoying relative to now where you've been through some pain and difficulty the last three months with, with horses being killed at, at Santa Anita. How difficult has that been for, for you as, the, as essentially the statesman in it, it's in horrible, you know. It's 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 sad. Uh, you know, a bit of everything hit California at, at once, especially the weather, uh, Nick. You know, we had two months of just straight rain. It seemed like, uh, and every day uh, the track never got a chance to, to to dry out at all. Matter of fact, it was basically sealed. You know, which is very hard. You know, when they have to seal a racetrack, and I, I just think it just caught up. It just caught up with them. Uh, before you knew it, it just happened so fast. It was like a, a, a storm just, just came in, blew in, and, and hopefully blew out. Uh, you know, California's done uh, a lot with the racetracks. They, they've literally pulled them all up, laid them all back down. I mean, it's a brand new course. Everything is fresh and new. Uh, we just hope we can put this past us and, and, and move forward, you know. And you've been in the game long enough to see change, to see difficult periods, to see periods where the sport's struggling a little bit for, for popularity or, or traction. Do you still remain hopeful and confident, Mike, that racing in California can get back to where it should be? Uh, without a doubt, Nick, to be honest with you, it, it's amazing what a horse can do. One good horse could, could just could literally change the world. I think horses have changed the world from, from way before racing. A horse has come into people's lives and, and have done things. Uh, I mean, you could be totally down and out. And that one good horse comes around and, and, oh my God, he just puts you on top of the world again. So a good horse can do that. We just need that one good horse to step up and do that in the States, especially in California. And I think it'll heal all. It'll heal, it'll heal everything. And you're not ever going to be a deserter, are you? That's your home. That's, that's, that's where you're going to do your thing. You know, I've, I'm, I'm, again, I'm blessed to have a few solid years left in me. And I would want more than anything to, to finish it in California. And then maybe move on uh, and sit where you're sitting, you know, maybe do some, some TV, some commentating, uh, you know, really promote our sport and, and put it out there. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful sport. It's, it's, it's great for the family. It's, it's, uh, it's a good thing. You know, it teaches you so much in life. Uh, and I would never want to never wanna leave it. It's, it's all that I have. I mean, it's, it's the reason I have all that I have, to be honest with you. So, so I'm looking forward for that one good horse to, to pull us out. And when it does, it'll, it'll bring us high. It'll bring us high again. I know you're familiar because I, I know you're friends with the people who started it up, the, the I Am Horse Racing movement. That Great they, people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to, to really reinforce a positive message about the sport and why people got into the game, their role in it, why they love the athlete, why they love the, the animals themselves. 
Do you find it frustrating that you, you sometimes have to defend the thing that you love? We have to defend almost everything in life, don't we? No matter what it is. You're going to talk about religion, politics, any sport. You know, there's just always something that you're going to have to defend in it. But does the good outweigh the bad? And if you were to ask me or anybody involved in it, the good is so much greater, so much greater that it, it'll pull itself out. I, I really believe that. You have some great people, great Again, you know, the people we were just talking about, uh, they're getting involved and trying to tell the stories and people's stories from, from the very beginning, you know. Uh, I, think that, uh, I think that needs to be seen. We need to educate the public, the people that, that uh, you know, they don't, don't often, you know, tune into our, our sport or our channel. When they see how much passion and love is given to these, these beautiful animals, uh, it, can't, it can't help but get back up again. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the program that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.